Hello, I'm your host, George Sanders, and this is Humanity Matters Most, the podcast produced by the University of Houston College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences. Here, we explore behind the scenes of research being conducted by prominent researchers of humanities and social sciences. On this episode, we have Dr. Scott Savage and Dr. Denise Reyes, two scholars that have done research on rejection at work. They'll be discussing how rejection impacts people and the workplace, then ways to move past it. Hi, I'm Professor Savage. I'm a faculty member in the sociology department. I'm here to talk a little bit about my own research, and I've been joined by my colleague in the psychology department. Hi, I'm Dr. Denise Reyes. I'm an assistant professor in the Industrial Organizational Psychology program at UH. Yep, and we're here to talk about our uh, research on refusals and rejection. Um, We've uh, discovered that we're both kind of doing some similar work on this, and we thought it might be uh, fun and interesting to share uh, what we're doing. So um, I guess I'll go first. Uh, So for about the better part of four years, um, I've been studying uh, rejection in the giving context. So a lot of my research Um, I'm a social exchange theorist, and a lot of my research has been about how people kind of give resources to one another and what that means for how they feel about each other. Well, one of the things that I kind of discovered was very few of the social exchange uh, theorists were really thinking hard about rejection in the giving context. And so I've been doing um, a fair bit of laboratory work studying kind of how refusals and rejections can affect how what people give and how much they give to one another. I think the kind of the big insight that I've had so far is uh, as a sociologist, I'm interested in structures and uh, norms and how things kind of outside of the individual affect what individuals do. Mm-hmm. And I've distinguished between kind of the possibility of actually being refused. I think there's some situations where you just can't say no. Mm -hmm. Um, We've all been in those contexts. You know, think of like a birthday gift, you know, someone (laughs) gives you something and even though you don't want that ugly sweater, uh, you you can't say no to the ugly sweater. Um, And so I've been interested in how kind of the possibility of being refused affects uh, our willingness to give to others, as well as the actual experience of being refused. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I've been looking at how both of those things kind of affect uh, whether or not we offer resources to other individuals. And so I've been doing that, looking at studies involving undergraduate students. Some of them are very abstract, where I have people come into the lab, and it's more like an economics game, where they're just making decisions about what to give. Mm-hmm. Um, but then more recently, I've been uh, doing work that's more kind of concrete, and I've been using vignette studies to explore uh, whether people are more likely to, to donate to other um, uh, to, to, to various kind of causes. Mm-hmm. So that's what I've been doing, um, and so I guess we're going to talk about a little bit of that more uh, here uh, soon. But let me um, uh, kind of turn the floor over to you, uh, Professor Reyes, and hear a little bit about what you're doing. Thanks. So my research is more focused on the workplace and how rejection looks in a professional setting, Um, like having a product being rejected or um, being refused a job offer or um, a promotion. 
So I noticed that a lot of the literature focused mainly on social rejection. What I specifically focus on is individual differences in how people react to rejection, which I guess we'll get into is kind of different from what you're looking at, the more universal um, reaction to a refusal, whereas um, my goal is to help those individuals overcome um, that sensitivity and become a little bit more resilient to rejection. So the start of my research was um, kind of a, a me, me search because I was doing teams and leadership development uh, research as a graduate student. And at first, my aim was to help underrepresented and underrepresented individuals attain leadership positions. And through my research on leadership training, I was seeing that there are plenty of leadership training programs that people will opt into or others that will just not even opt into those programs, even though they might actually make really great leaders. And so that's when I kind of took a step back from how to develop leadership training programs and then focused on how do I identify people who could make great leaders but just haven't taken it upon themselves because they're too afraid that they might be rejected or, um, you know, just they're afraid of being put in that position. Okay, so as a sociologist, I have an immediate question, <laughs> um, and that is, do you see that there are certain groups of people who are more likely to uh, express this kind of rejection sensitivity uh, compared to other groups of individuals? So mm -hmm. I, I understand that your work is looking at the individual, mm -hmm. um, but do you see kind of, or do you know of literature that kind of shows that there are kind of differences and mm -hmm. and who's more likely to experience this mm -hmm. kind of adverse, uh, the adverse effects of being rejected? Mm -hmm. Yes, I definitely have noticed it. Well, the start of my research, like I said, it was a bit of me search. And I was anecdotally trying to understand what caused me to be so afraid of rejection. And I noticed that it could have could be potentially like gender differences in how maybe boys and girls are raised. And I, I, I noticed, you know, maybe boys are being, um, you know, told to like, you know, ask a girl on a date, ask the girl to prom, uh, join the sport and, you know, fail. And um, whereas as a girl, I never was put in those positions. So I thought maybe there could be something there. And sure enough, when I did start my research in every study that I've conducted and I have measured rejection sensitivity, there are gender differences. Um, so women tend to be higher in rejection sensitivity than men. And now this, the question that I have for my research is really why these gender differences exist. So yeah, although I do look at individual differences, I also look at group differences like race and gender. Um, but the biggest difference that I see is in gender. That's, that's uh, interesting because I'm, although that was not motivating my research at all, I, I've kind of discovered a very similar thing mm -hmm. where, um, you know, people generally respond to rejection by pulling back and being less, being more hesitant to give to others. Mm -hmm. um, but it seems like that's particularly true for women. Um, and yeah. So my analyses um, across a series of, of studies uh, in the lab have shown that when uh, 
the the female participants in the studies have been refused, then they are less likely to give to the again to the person that refused them. Mm-hmm. Um, they're more likely to give to the other uh, participant. Mm-hmm. Um, so because I have them interacting with multiple people, mm-hmm. so they're more likely to kind of retreat from one mm-hmm. uh, relationship, and they retreat in either one of two ways: either they become completely isolated and they just don't give, mm-hmm. um, which for my studies is a big deal because you earn money by receiving um, resources from other people. And so mm-hmm. if you isolate yourself, you're actually earning less than you would earn otherwise. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's the one, uh, that's one way they kind of approach it. The other way they would approach it would be to kind of um, switch partners and basically say, well, you refused me. I'm going to go try out another relationship. But I, I particularly see that um, mm-hmm. where the, the men and the males in my relationship, they're more likely to kind of, after being refused, just go back to the well, I guess, and say like, well, I'm going to try it again and see if you mm-hmm. refuse me again. As a result of that, by and large, I see that the men actually earn a little bit more in my um, oh. studies, which was not intended when I started the work. Yeah. Um, it was kind of because I just I didn't have any um, kind of initial thinking about gender differences and how they would refu- you know, respond to this um, to, to being refused. Yeah, that's really interesting. So you haven't found out why that could be so yeah i did i mean it, that was not the motivation for my research yeah. and so i you know i didn't assess kind of just baseline rejection sensitivity at the outset mm-hmm. i mean in this conversation now i'm wishing i had <laughs> uh but but i i repeatedly see um kind of a gender difference and how people respond to the actual experience of being refused mm-hmm. which is different than the possibility of being refused there i don't necessarily get that gender uh, effect it's really how people respond to the to the experience which would seem to track on with what you're finding yeah yeah so what does that all mean i guess what does that mean for you know for your research and for what you're finding in terms of people and how they can better navigate their careers and mm-hmm. um succeed in kind of the the organizational environment mm-hmm so that's kind of a tough question because I don't really have the answer yet. I think that I'm at the nascent stages of my research where I'm really just identifying the problem and now I'm trying to understand why the problem exists. And then once we can understand why the problem exists, we can kind of treat that, right? So we see the symptom, but what is it really the cause of? Okay. So, so given that that's what you're trying to do, what, what do you, I mean, how are you going to go about it? What's kind of your plan to go mm-hmm. about um, answering those types of questions? So the first study, which I just published, I did try to, I, I was speculating if it could potentially be past experiences. So I looked at perceived discrimination. I, I was speculating that maybe feeling discriminated could be the cause of what makes you more sensitive to rejection, but I actually didn't find that in my research. I did find that women did feel more discriminated than men, but that wasn't what ended up resulting in a higher rejection sensitivity. So right now I'm, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what, what that is, and I, I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, I mean, that's that's part of the research process, right? Yeah. We, we ask these questions and we try and kind of uh, stumble through and figure out what's the answer. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I mean, off the top of my head, I'm just curious if it's just the 
the experience of being rejected over and over again, right? So, mm. I mean, at the outset, you talked about how boys might have, you know, they might be encouraged to go out for the team mm -hmm. or to ask someone on a date or, mm -hmm. you know, and so maybe it's just you eventually become kind of um, resilient. Yeah. And, yeah. and desensitized yeah. to the, the experience of being rejected. Yeah. And that is actually what I was thinking, too. So the rejection sensitivity literature would actually suggest the opposite. It says that the more rejection that you experience, the more sensitive you become to rejection. And that's where I kind of disagree. I think that, like you're saying, you become desensitized to it. You're exposed to it and um, you become more comfortable with it. But I guess it could also be like a curve curvilinear relationship right where if you're just constantly being rejected over and over and over again you're gonna give up eventually but I do see something there and I think maybe this would be a lot more complicated research to conduct but looking at like the adolescence and um, the kind of rejection experiences that uh, they're going through to see if that would then later on in a longitudinal study predict anything but that would take years and years and years <laughs> <laughs> yes, so sadly, I found that my research ends up taking years and years and years, even, <laughs> yeah. even when I'm, that's not the plan. Exactly. <laughs> a one semester study could take up to like four years to publish. <laughs> yes. I mean, I'm, I'm currently just now publishing work that I started in 2019. So <laughs> uh, I guess that's just the, the, the slow nature of, of, of research. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I guess we kind of have a, a little bit of a sense of what you're you're wrestling with right now mm -hmm. is really kind of the application of some of my ideas to, to more realistic environments. Uh, mm -hmm. And so, you know, because because when I run my studies historically, they're, they're conducted in a lab space. Uh, they have people coming in and they're basically playing these little games that mm -hmm. are intentionally abstract mm -hmm. and don't necessarily connect to anything in the real world. And so what I've been trying to do is, you know, show how some of these uh, things might matter in the real world. And so I recently ran a, a study that was about donation to donating goods to goodwill. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, created a series of different scenarios uh, that just changed whether people could be kind of overtly refused. And so this was a little bit inspired by just my own experience donating mm -hmm. stuff to Goodwill, um, as well as uh, some research at, or actually some me news media at the time that suggested that Goodwill was having a really hard time kind of dealing with all of the donations that they were getting. Um, if you recall, uh, at the start of the pandemic, you know, people really wanted to do to, to help one another and uh goodwill actually saw a massive increase in oh, donation wow. to the point where they couldn't handle all of the um clothes that they were getting wow. and that it posed a problem for, for the goodwill industries because what do you do with all of these clothes that you can't, <laughs> you, have, you have to sort and get rid of and so what i ended up doing was creating a study that just varied how goodwill um dealt with donations in some of the um, scenarios or in some of the conditions, people were basically told that when you donated to Goodwill, they would evaluate what you were donating right then and make a determination about whether they would accept or not um, the, the donation. Mm -hmm. uh, where in uh, other scenarios, this happened kind of weeks later behind, you know, behind closed doors. And so you never actually knew mm -hmm. whether your donations were going to be accepted or not, or just kind of discarded and thrown in the trash. Mm -hmm. And there, what I found was that uh, situations where refusal was immediate, where, where you, and overt, you knew whether you were being refused, 
uh, people were actually more likely to say they would donate to Goodwill. Um, Interesting. As opposed to if they never knew what was happening. However, in a series of other scenarios I gave people, I then varied whether they were actually refused. And so it's like, this is how they do it. And, uh-huh. then, and your your offer wasn't accepted. And there, just like in the lab, I, I found kind of the same thing, which is people wanted the possibility of being refused because that made them feel a little bit like it was kind of a just system. Yeah. And that made them more likely to donate. But when I actually told them you donated and it wasn't accepted, how likely are you to donate again? Or, or how likely would you be to donate in the future? Then they were, they were like, no, I, I, you know, <laughs> we saw a massive decrease in their tendency to say they would be like, yeah. um, and uh, so we, we ran that study and I have those results and we just, uh, a colleague of mine at um, Oklahoma State just ran a kind of a companion study. Mm. And instead of looking at Goodwill, we're looking at uh, food banks and whether mm. people kind of donate to food banks because mm-hmm. they have a very similar problem where mm-hmm. if you donate stuff to the food bank, they have to evaluate whether they can actually accept it or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have yet to look at that data. My colleague and I have yet to look at that data. So. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, it's consistent with what we've been finding mm-hmm. uh, throughout. But I think the big question is, you know, kind of what are the underlying mechanisms that explain why rejection kind of results in people pulling back, mm-hmm. where the possibility of rejection mm-hmm. results in actually people kind of giving more. Mm-hmm. And I have a few thoughts on that. Um, one, I think the possibility of rejection reduces the uncertainty associated with kind of engaging in an act you know that you're going to find something out so mm-hmm. you can feel confident that you're not going to just be kind of left in the lurch so to speak yeah um but also when you know that refusals are possible that's kind of a motivation to not to do whatever you can to not be refused right mm-hmm. um, because we know that uh, rejection hurts both yeah. emotionally and physically people actually report uh, people feeling ex- physical pain as a result of being told no and so there. uh one of the things that you know I, I find over and over again is just the possibility of being refused actually seems to increase investment. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I guess the, the analog here would be like you know if it was students studying for tests, right? If they are guaranteed an A, there's no kind of reason yeah. to invest. But if you know there's the possibility that they may not perform well, and if they view that uh, poor performance as a form of rejection, then mm-hmm. they might decide to do something like study. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where I am and kind of what I'm wrestling with right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, one question that immediately uh, kind of comes to mind for me, though, is, well, what about people who seem to be insensitive to rejection, right? <laughs> I mean, we're, we're kind of talking about this as if it's a, somewhat of a positive thing, right? And yeah. so far as they're more likely to apply for all of these things. But might there also be some downsides to that? I can definitely see downsides for someone who doesn't recognize when they're actually doing something wrong and that's why they're being rejected or you know maybe you just don't have a talent for something you know you want to be a singer and you keep going after it and auditioning after like audition after audition and maybe if you're you know putting way too many resources into that and time and effort when it just isn't going to happen yeah, so, so then it's kind of interesting because you kind of need to think about kind of the yeah. extremes at both ends, mm-hmm. right? It's um, the Goldilocks problem, yeah. right? Like it's too hot, it's, you know, <laughs> you're, it's, it's too enjoyable, it's too, you know, you have to find kind of where is rejection. You want to be sensitive enough so that you're mm-hmm. aware mm-hmm. Um, and you're not kind of, kind of pursuing things mm-hmm. that maybe, maybe you need to give up. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm thinking of 
like American Idol for years and years mm-hmm. would have people come out and they'd be like, I'm going to be a singer. Yeah. And then they just really were tone deaf. Yeah. And as someone who is tone deaf, I'm, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very sympathetic to that to, to kind of um, calibrate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's an interesting thing is, is, do you know of any research or any um, kind of things out there that would suggest someone who maybe who's suffering from kind of extreme rejection sensitivity is kind of how they can overcome that? I've looked into some research. There's a lot of research on social rejection and rejection sensitivity towards social rejection and some kind of interventions that um, you can do would be mindfulness training. So when I first heard about mindfulness, I thought it was this kind of like, you know, hokey thing, but there's a lot of research to back it up, you know, breathing exercises. There was a study that had, um, they had participants eat a raisin and basically think about the entire process of the raisin. So feeling the raisin, tasting the raisin, feeling the raisin go down their throat and just being present and focusing on kind of an awareness uh, of the, what they're doing. Exactly. The awareness and being present helped them overcome negative emotions of rejection. And there was another study that had individuals experience ostracism and then complete a breathing exercise. The experimental group that completed the breathing exercise had far less negative emotions after experiencing ostracism. So I think mindfulness, breathing exercises, meditation, those are all things that can help emotional regulation. So recognizing your emotions and then being able to deal with those emotions. So reflecting on them and understanding what it is that you're feeling and not letting yourself kind of ruminate on it too much. Another technique that I think could help in a professional setting is goal setting. So setting smart goals. Those are specific, measurable, attainable, relevant, and time-focused. So that kind of helps you deal with rejection in a more objective way. It helps you see the rejection as just a part of the process to attaining your overall goals. Right. I think it also interesting is like the extent to which you think of the rejection as a rejection of self mm-hmm. versus just kind of a rejection of the act or the behavior or what happened, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's one thing to be told no, and that doesn't necessarily result in some concern about who you are as a person mm-hmm. versus kind of thinking oh, you told me no and what you're actually saying is that I'm not worthy right mm-hmm. and so the extent to which you can kind of differentiate the rejection from the self mm-hmm. um, and so it, it's easier to do that if you know if, if we think about it in terms of a goal mm-hmm. like yes I didn't realize the goal but that doesn't mean I'm not necessarily worthy mm-hmm. I mean I think sometimes as academics we sometimes tie our uh, our self-worth into our papers and when they're rejected it's not just a rejection of an idea it's a rejection of kind of you as a, or you know as, as you as the author of that paper and i think it's good uh to, to be able to step back and recognize that you know being told no isn't necessarily a statement about you mm-hmm. as the individual i mean there, there are lots of reasons people might 
tell you no in lots of different contexts, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, the classic line that I think of is, it's not you, it's me. Maybe sometimes it's, that's true, right? Sometimes in a, you know, when you're asking someone on a date or something like that, and they say, no, it's not because there's anything wrong with you. It's because, you know, there's something that they're dealing with that makes them not in a position where they could accept the, the offer that, that you're putting forward. And I think that's an important point too. You know, right now we've been talking a lot about the person being rejected, but I think there's also some responsibility on the rejector, mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and thinking about how you do that in a way that makes the person who's being told no mm -hmm. uh, understand why, mm -hmm. um, you know, because by understanding why it might make it easier for them to step back and, and understand whether that's a rejection of the self or a rejection mm -hmm. of, um, you know, just the, the, the offer. And that mm -hmm. may not may or may not be kind of tied into the self. Mm -hmm. and, and interestingly, one of the things in my research, because, you know, I have people kind of engaging in these giving exercises over time, is I can actually see, well, I don't have the kind of the, the meanings that people kind of um, put forward when they are rejecting someone. I can study and I have studied how people who are actually doing the rejection uh, respond. So not just what happens when people are rejected, yeah. but what happens when people are rejecting. And one of the things that I find there is that people who are rejecting actually uh, seem to kind of be aware about how the rejected is going to respond. And so they actually also frequently will pull back from that relationship and, oh. and go to the other relationship. Wow. Um, because it, it kind of in, in an anticipatory way, thinking, well, if I were just rejected you, mm -hmm. there's very little chance that on a subsequent kind of opportunity to interact, you're going to want to interact with me. Mm -hmm. And so they almost kind of anticipate that's going to happen and they'll like kind of move towards their other, in another relationship. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that's kind of an, an, import, an important angle uh, of, of, of this conversation and of, and of rejection, which it also kind of makes us really attuned to the fact that rejection is necessarily a social phenomenon, right? Mm -hmm. It requires uh, multiple parties um, to, to communicate this. Because especially in a professional setting, that could be detrimental to performance if someone, you know, is rejecting your ideas and then they also are basically rejecting you as a person because they're pulling away even more from working with you. Right, right, right. And, and even if that's not the in, the intention, mm -hmm. right? So you've kind of an unintended consequence. So it's, oh, I didn't, I didn't like that idea. And now all of a sudden there were, you know, they're thinking about how you might react yeah. to, to being told no. If they then say, okay, well, I think you're going to be upset with me, mm -hmm. go elsewhere. Well, now you're even, as the rejected party, you might be even more isolated mm -hmm. and you aren't actually, and I think from a a leadership standpoint and from a you know if you think about managers and bosses mm -hmm. um you know it's important for them if they do kind of reject people to make sure that they then don't kind of leave that person completely isolated and, mm -hmm. and that they follow up and kind of mm -hmm. maintain relationships mm -hmm. with that individual if they want that person to continue to kind of be engaged and invested mm -hmm. um in whatever activity is is um, being pursued by the organization but i mean and, and this is you know, this not only in terms of like the day in and day out, but also you can think about it in terms of like yearly performance evaluations mm -hmm. and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, do you have any other kind of uh, things you'd like to share? So as I, as I mentioned, 
Uh, I'm trying to understand the root of the cause for why people are sensitive to rejection. But the aim of my research is really to help these people overcome that sensitivity. So once I'm able to identify the problem, I would like to find out interventional techniques to help overcome sensitivity. And some ideas that I've had are exposure therapy, like you've mentioned, the more you get rejected, the less sensitive you'll be towards it. So I want to test that out. And I actually have talked to someone, um, his name is Jia Jang, and he had a TED Talk on 100 Days of Rejection, where he basically exposed himself to rejection for 100 days. And supposedly that helped him overcome it. And so now he goes around giving this training on exposing yourself to rejection. So I've talked to him about working together and seeing if we can validate his training program uh, to see if it really does work, if there's science to back it up. So that's one avenue that I'm looking at for the future of my research. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think there, there are lots of different angles. And I think it's, it's really important, I think, figuring out you know, how to kind of help people who seem to be timid and, and, and afraid of putting themselves out there so that they can realize the benefits that come from uh, social interaction is super helpful. On my end, I think I'm interested in understanding kind of the more of the identity processes and how rejection can kind of tie into identities. Mm -hmm. So in my current research, well, I haven't uh, really looked at kind of people's identities. I just have them come to the lab and engage in these in these little games. Um, but, you know, we know that people like what counts as a rejection kind of depends on the identity in play, right? And the mm -hmm. meaning systems in play. And so I'm curious to try and better understand how kind of identities affect the rejection process and how people kind of cope with those. And if there are certain identities that can help people kind of deal with rejection more than others, right? Uh, and kind of what are those identities and what are the underlying meanings in those identities that help them cope? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think that's probably... Uh, a year or two away, but I think that's probably the next, that, that's the next direction I'm going. Yeah, that's cool. And that's kind of the question that I had too for the differences between professional rejection and social rejection is if their job is more central to their identity, does that mean that they would be more sensitive to professional rejection as opposed to social rejection? If you can think of individuals that's kind of um, made up of all these different identities mm -hmm. and then you can kind of rank order the relative importance of those identities and then figure out kind of well which rejections matter mm -hmm. right so are you universe so i mean i guess the question i would have is is someone universally rejection sensitive or is it the case that in fact what's happening is they are sensitive to rejection mm -hmm. for particular identities, mm -hmm. but maybe other identities, not so much. Mm -hmm. And then what is it about those identities that might kind of provide that protective layer? Mm -hmm. And that's a question. I don't have the answer to that, 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 mm -hmm. uh, from, from my standpoint, that kind of needs to be investigated. So yeah, I think that's, I think it's, it's kind of exciting and, you know, hopefully we can both move forward with mm -hmm. uh, really kind of interesting insights into rejection that maybe, uh, in a couple of years can, we can share. Yeah. Well, was... thank you so much for, for this chat. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, it was great talking. All right. All right, that wraps up our episode. This episode, once again, has been produced by the College of Liberal Arts and Social Sciences and the Center for Student Media at the University of Houston. We would also like to thank the psychology and sociology departments for their participation. 
Our team consists of host and producer George Sanders, producer Loria Smith, sound engineering from the Center for Student Media, and our intro and outro song was provided by Dizzy Gold. Thank you for listening, and if you'd like to learn more about our podcast or find previous episodes, you can find us at www.uh.edu forward slash class.